Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today we are getting an update on the rising numbers of RSV in children in the Metro from Dr. Tayangu, Chief of Pediatric Infectious Disease with Oklahoma Children's Hospital at OU Health. Welcome, Dr. Tayangu. Thanks so much for joining me to address this topic that's top of mind for so many parents right now. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really a pleasure. Before we dive in, I'd like to tell our listeners a bit more about you. Dr. Donna Tayangu specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of infectious diseases in children at Oklahoma Children's Hospital at OU Health. She is an assistant professor in pediatric infectious diseases and serves as the acting chief of the division for the University of Oklahoma College of Medicine. Additionally, she serves as the medical director of infection prevention and control at Oklahoma Children's Hospital. She has been a valuable leader in the fight against COVID-19 for OU Health and has led efforts to develop protocols and guidelines for medical providers during the pandemic. Dr. Tayangu sees patients in the hospital for a variety of infectious diseases from COVID, RSV, and influenza to patients with very complex infectious disease concerns. First of all, today, as we dive into this conversation about RSV, what is RSV? What are the symptoms parents need to be watching for? And why is it particularly dangerous? So thank you for the question. Um, RSV actually stands for respiratory syncytial virus. Um, it's a respiratory virus that actually infects the breathing passages and can sometimes cause severe lung infection, which is called, called bronchiolitis. Um, it can cause respiratory problems for people of all ages, but it's one of the most common diseases of early childhood. And most infants with RSV will experience um, us upper respiratory tract infections, and 30% of those can actually develop lower lung disease with their very first RSV infection, which is what would cause a problem for us because then if they do, many of those will need to be hospitalized. Um, so the symptoms typically begin just like the common cold, a runny nose and cough, and then um, some patients will have their symptoms progress to increased work of breathing. We call that tachypnea, where they're breathing very, very fast. Um, you can hear some patients wheezing or develop um, what we call intercostal retractions, where you can kind of see their ribs as they breathe. Um, and then a lot of the really young babies will have some grunting or nasal flaring um, that kind of shows us that they might need some, they might have some oxygen deprivation that they need help there with there. Um, Normally healthy children um, may have very minor symptoms, just like a, a cold or, or older children will have, will have seen RSV before. So we'll also have kind of minor cold symptoms. Um, and some, some children will have a fever, but not everyone. Um, our biggest concern is really for our younger age infants and um, patients who were preterm or low birth weight babies, um, because Typically, RSV can come with a lot of kind of mucus um, in the nose with the congestion and with very small um, nasal passages, they get blocked. And that's where they need nursing 
kind of 24 hours to keep help, just remove all of that blockage while giving them oxygen at the same time. Um, but those children actually can present uh, less with respiratory symptoms, but more with just feeling really tired, lethargic, not wanting to eat. Um, and then even if they don't have respiratory symptoms, those young babies can, it can lead to a problem called apnea, where they just kind of stop breathing. Um, and we, we don't know why. Uh, well, we know why it's RSV, but it's not really related to um, the actual respiratory distress. Um, so the typical time from when someone gets infected to when they start developing symptoms, that's what we call our incubation period, is around four to six days. Um, and, but a patient can actually shed the virus, like a normally previously healthy patient can shed the virus anywhere from three days to eight days. Um, and really young babies or anyone with like an immunocompromising illness can actually shed the virus for much longer than that three to four weeks. Um, so that's, that's important for people to kind of understand if they have children on like drugs that would suppress the immune system, they may still be sharing their RSV with all of us. So. Thank you so much for that description and foundation for this conversation. Um, first, I want to ask, is RSV something that you can just contract once or can you get it multiple times? Um, actually, most people will experience RSV multiple times. And, and the, the more you experience it, the less and less severe your symptoms will be later in life, right? So, so almost all children before the age of uh, well, by the age of two, we'll have seen RSV before. Um, now, if you're talking about getting RSV more than once in a year, that's not typical. Typically, it's kind of seasonal. Someone will get RSV and then they will get sick and then they will get better and then they'll see it again the next year. But then the next year that they see it, their infectious symptoms are less severe than the year before, right? Because they have some type of immunity against it. Okay, that helps to know that. Um, so you've talked about that it's primarily a concern for infants, younger children, because of their smaller nasal pathways, because of just the anatomy of their little bodies. Um, but it, it can be problematic for any age child. Um, what about those who have asthma, are prone to other respiratory illnesses, maybe those older elementary age kids who it, it wouldn't be a problem for maybe for just any child, but are there things that we should know or look for in our older kids that would alert us? This is something we really need to be paying attention to this season. Yeah, so that's a good question. So an interesting an interesting thing happened with COVID-19. We, we basically didn't really see RSV at all in 2020 and we saw, um, we saw a very strange RSV season in 2021 where we had this huge summertime surge. So we were in the hospital expecting our normal wintertime RSV, but we had hardly any. <laughs> then we had this huge summertime RSV surge when we weren't expecting it. And with that actually came older children being hospitalized for RSV than what was typical. And we think it's because they didn't see RSV at that normal age. So then they got a little bit sicker than they would have from it being a brand new virus. Um, 
So older children can absolutely get RSV. We are less worried about it in older children unless they have an immunocompromising situation simply because of what we talked about. Their anatomy is big, our faces are much bigger and they can kind of handle the mucus even if they have to stay at home. With any virus comes the risk of like a secondary bacterial infection, obviously. So we want to be on the lookout like if they do start having high fevers or anything like that, they may need antibiotics. Antibiotics typically, I mean, for viral infections, you don't use antibiotics. But when you get um, a viral infection that that can predispose to a bacterial infection, they may get to that place where they need that. Um, and the other the other thing you know people should know as they're as we're trying to avoid all of these respiratory <laughs> viruses as winter approaches us, is that um, there is some correlation between having a severe RSV infection in childhood and then the development of asthma. Mm. So obviously, children who have asthma, if they get a viral infection, they are um, kind of predisposed to having a more severe infection um, just because they already have this hyperinflamed bronchial and pulmonary system. So if you add an infection on top of that, you know, of course it can, it can be worse of an issue for them. But having severe viral infections in general can actually lead to more being more likely to be diagnosed with asthma at a later age. So we want to try to avoid that too. Um, but most of the kiddos who are older than the very small babies that we would expect to have severe um, RSV infections are kids with chronic lung disease, neuromuscular problems, um, neurological concerns, anyone, I mean, we've talked about anyone who's immunodeficient or anyone with congenital heart disease, all of these children, we try to protect them um, from from all viruses, but especially RSV. Okay, that's great to know. So we've talked about, there are lots of respiratory concerns this time of year. We've got allergies, we've got, I know at my house, we have asthma flare-ups right now, colds, COVID, the flu, and it can be hard as a parent to kind of distinguish between these respiratory illnesses and figure out what am I dealing with? How, how concerned do I need to be? What advice can you give parents for being able to kind of distinguish between symptoms for all of these things that are going around right now? So that's a great question, but I can tell you that even for pediatricians, dif differentiating between all of these three, four, I think you said four things that look exactly clinically the same is extremely difficult. So the one thing I can say is that if you have a lot of sneezing and kind of itchiness, like that will trigger you to like, this is probably more of an allergic type thing. Now, as we get closer and closer to cold parts of winter, allergies are gonna be probably less of a concern. I know there are, I mean, we're in Oklahoma, so there are lots of people who might have allergies year round, but if as we get to where there's like snow and ice outside and not as many allergens typically that are floating around in the air, then you have to really consider these other viruses. And unfortunately, um, there's not a great way to differentiate influenza from COVID from RSV. So if, if someone is concerned, um, children, thankfully, um, will do relatively well with COVID-19 and with RSV if they're previously healthy. Um, 
influenza we expect to hit especially hard this year just because we because of the data out of Australia that we have so we are asking people to talk to their pediatricians about getting um, their children vaccinated against influenza uh, I mean you know get updated on all vaccines but especially influenza this year it's another virus we haven't seen for a long time um, but unfortunately the clinical manifestations of all three will start very very similarly um, you know colds, runny nose, cough, congestion, and then um, depending on the age of the child can kind of um, go in different directions. And influenza we would expect to be more associated with pneumonia, but as you know, COVID can be associated with pneumonia as well as RSV depending on the age group. So that one's a, a bit tricky to give a good definitive answer. But what I'm hearing you say is, it's okay if we as parents can't distinguish between those and we just go ahead and lean on the experts in our lives, call our pediatricians if we have any concerns or kids have symptoms of any of those that are are concerning to us as parents. So yes, um, absolutely. That's, that's good it to is know. okay to always lean on your pediatrician for sure. We don't have to know everything as parents. That's why we have pediatricians in our lives. So we know that the number of kids in particular with RSV in Oklahoma City has been rising rapidly. And like you mentioned, it's early in the usual respiratory virus, cold and flu season. So what is going on with RSV in Oklahoma City? What, what current state are we in? Um, so compared to where we were even a month or two ago, our numbers have more than doubled. Um, we are in preparation mode for if this surge continues to like um, be as aggressive as it is for us, we are um, basically trying to plan extra space and trying to plan if we need more providers to help with these children, you know, where are we going to get them from? And we've already started talking to our surgeons who you know, need, you know, every surgeon needs a certain number of beds every day for elective procedures. After they finish the procedure, the uh, patient has to kind of hang out and recover before they can go home. And we're, we're starting to move our elective procedures around a little bit. Um, and so that's kind of where we are. Um, based on what's kind of happening across the country, I do anticipate that we're going to continue to see our RSV cases uh, rising, but we hopefully won't have to like start asking for the adults to share their beds or nurses if we if we get to that point. But yeah, it's it's pretty concerning with how our numbers are showing up. That is concerning. So so let's talk about prevention. What do we do as parents to minimize the risk of our kids getting RSV this season? Um. So prevention for any virus is something I think as we all have lived through our first pandemic should be experts on now, I, I would hope. So the difference between RSV and something like um, COVID-19, COVID is an airborne virus, RSV is really droplet, right? So if somebody's coughing or sneezing, those droplets will get onto surfaces and then they can live for a few hours on surfaces. So children who are playing with those contaminated surfaces can kind of put them in their nose and their mouth and get infected that way. So you want to try and cover as best as you can coughs and sneezes. 
Um, you want to obviously wash hands with soap and water or with 60, 70% alcohol hand sanitizer, which is your normal Purell um, type of thing. You want to, during winter, I think probably it's, I, I know that infectious diseases specialists will be avoiding kissing and handshaking and sharing cups and sharing eating utensils with others for a very long time after everything that we've been through. But definitely, you know, for the average person during winter time, that's probably a good idea to stay as healthy as possible. Um, and then if there's anyone who is obviously sick, you, you know, avoiding close contact for, you know, six to seven days until they're feeling better and they have less chance of sharing whatever virus they have with them, um, with everyone else. And then, you know, teaching your children to avoid um, touching their face would be great. And then this final one that I'm thinking of is, is a lot harder for a lot of people to do, but if we ha are having a major RSV season and avoiding, um, you know, packed and common places to get RSV, like daycare, <laughs> daycare um, is a great place to, to uh, pick up a virus. That would be, that would be ideal, but I know that that's not possible for everyone. What about specifically, I'm thinking about families, um, and I remember this vividly because I was there at one point, you know, you've got a, a young baby infant at home, and you've also got kids that are in school or in daycare. Um, are there things that, that parents can do between the child who's at school coming home to, to where the infant is to minimize that cross-contamination? So... There are, there are things and there's common things. So if someone's coming home from school, they should just ask um, the person coming home from school to wash their hands right away. Like just come in, bag down, wash your hands, especially if there's a baby in the house. And then if there is, let's say a sibling who's um, infected or looks like they're infected with something, obviously get them in to see their pediatrician. So maybe find out what it is. But if it's something with RSV, you can control that infection. You can have them wear a mask if they're around the baby, right? Because a mask will definitely catch their droplets. You can have them, um, anything that they touch, doorknobs and things like that, kind of be helpers and clean doorknobs and things just, you know, while that person is sick. And so there are different, you know, things you can do. You can't prevent every droplet probably, but, you know, you can just do your best. That's great advice. Um, I think it, it definitely helps to know some of this is within our control. There, there are definitely things that we can do to prevent um, RSV and other viruses in our homes this winter. So that's very helpful. So if we have a child at home who is having some of those symptoms of RSV, what do parents start to do at home to help ease those symptoms? And when do parents know it's time to call the pediatrician? Yeah, so hopefully most people would be able to kind of manage RSV at home. Um, what, what that would look like is if there's fever, you would give any like non-aspirin fever reducers like Tylenol, for instance, just to help, help them feel better. If there's a lot of congestion, you could use, um, what, what are those nasal, you can use the bulb suction, you can use those little Frida things to help mm -hmm. keep the nose clear. Um, you can also do things like um, nasal 
um, what do they call it? Saline, little little saline droplets into the nose to kind of help thin out the secretions and then suck suck out the saline behind that. Um, some people will use a hot shower, the steam from the shower to try to help thin out the secretions. Um, and keeping the kids as comfortable as possible is is really important. But then reasons to call the pediatrician. Obviously, any of those symptoms that we talked about earlier, if there's any grunting, um, any uh, signs of dehydration. So if if the baby is no longer wanting to eat or drink, and if you're seeing um, a lot of wet diapers, go from a lot of wet diapers to very few wet diapers, that is a sign of um, dehydration. Or if a baby like starts having a really dry mouth and things like that. So dehydration is probably one of the most important things that besides the oxygen need, like especially, so if, if parents are noticing there's a little bit of blue tinge around the mouth, the nose or the fingertips, those are definitely reasons obviously to come in, come either to the emergency room or to call the pediatrician. And I, I assume some of those, like you mentioned, the blue around the mouth and the fingertips, that would mean go to the emergency room. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. If you're concerned that the baby is not getting enough oxygen, that is an emergency room visit. Okay. And potentially with dehydration, if especially what if it's like the weekend um, and urgent care, maybe you can't get a child into urgent care. Is it okay to come to the emergency room if you're concerned about dehydration with a child? Yeah, I mean, I don't want everyone smashing into the emergency room, especially because if their child is not infected, they may leave infected. But especially the younger you get, the less dehydration is something that is tolerable for long periods of time. So if you're in a weekend and your baby is not eating or you've had six, seven, eight hours with no wet diapers and you're concerned, then absolutely you have to seek medical attention. Okay, that's really helpful. What about RSV in adults? So I know you've talked about kind of the older you get, the more your body has encountered RSV. Hopefully the the less um, difficult symptoms that you would have, but I assume adults can still get RSV and what do those symptoms look like? Yeah, so if, uh, and, so the answer is yes, absolutely. Of course we can get RSV. Um, if you are an otherwise healthy adult, RSV will look like a mild cold, like a common cold. You'll probably be wondering, oh no, did I get COVID or do I have the flu or something? And it could be RSV. Um, that's really important to understand if you have really young children, but if you are otherwise healthy adult and you get RSV, you will probably do just fine with it. And it'll probably last for two to three days with mild symptoms. The concerns that we have um, with adults with RSV are those who are immunocompromised because in those patients, um, RSV can act um, very aggressively. It can lead to pneumonias, it can lead to death. And so those are the people who would want to be very cognizant about avoiding all viruses and RSV too. Good to know, that's very helpful. Um, what about, you talked a little bit earlier about those secondary infections. I know that that is often something we see in my household with my three kids. Can you talk about what that looks like, that kind of maybe an initial illness, then a child acts like they're feeling a little bit better, and then they seem to kind of go downhill again. 
what are those signs for parents that maybe there is a secondary infection going on? Yeah, so the, the biggest sign if, if there was a secondary bacterial infection on top of a viral illness will be probably fever. So if you have a child who's otherwise able to develop a fever, they will have a fever and it won't be kind of a fever that's just very easy to control with Tylenol. It, it might be a fever that persists for two or three days. And then um, a child who was previously getting better may develop a cough. It could be that a, a bacterial pneumonia is also kind of setting, setting itself in place. So if there's fever, um, pneumonia, or sorry, fever with cough, that could be um, concern for bacterial infection. Um, or, you know, like we said with the other, we were talking about um, lethargy or getting very tired, not wanting to eat. If they're not acting like that, they could also be, have, if they are acting like that, they could also be um, experiencing a secondary bacterial infection. I can already The biggest tell. thing to, con the, to, to think about is, um, if, if a child has had like MRSA in the past, those boils, those are the types of things that we would be looking for. And if they get really sick, we would make sure to cover some of those um, type of bacteria when they come back in. Okay. I can already tell I'm going to need to watch this back to take extensive notes to have <laughs> my own reference during this. Oh, season. It's so well, I hope it's helpful. I don't want it to make anyone crazy or anything. But. No, this is so helpful. I think, you know, oftentimes the more we know as parents and having kind of those definitive things to look for, instead of just spinning around in our own heads, wondering, is this cause for concern or not? So I think it's incredibly helpful just to kind of have almost a little checklist that we can refer to. Um, knowing that our, our kids' pediatricians are overwhelmed this time of year and our hospitals, like you mentioned, are overwhelmed. So I always think, um, you know, even as my kids get older, it's just so helpful to be reminded, here are the reasons to call the doctor, here are the things that would mean I'd need to go to the emergency room. So I- The other thing I'll throw into that is even though the pediatricians might be overwhelmed, the most pediatric nurses have extensive extensive history and knowledge of RSV. Like we've all been working with it forever. So even calling like the helpline, I think usually those are staffed by um, nurses. They can help you get, you know, answer questions and get through things that um, are going on until you get a chance to get into the pediatrician. Yeah, those nurses are godsends. And you've also given me some great affirmation today that when in doubt, just make the phone call. Yes. It's always okay to call. <laughs> yes. As we wrap up our conversation today, what is the number one most important thing you want parent listeners to know about RSV this season? That one is hard to give you just one. I think the, the biggest thing I would say is just for everyone to know how contagious it is and that it would be best to um, keep yourself healthy so that if your child were to develop RSV, it wasn't you giving it to them, hopefully, um, and you're healthy to help take care of them while they're going through it instead of also needing to take care of yourself at the same time. 
and I know you, you said one, but the the other thing I would say, these babies are really young. So anyone who has a new baby who has the ability to breastfeed, that can be very helpful because your antibodies will be getting into your baby to also help protect them at the time. So I would encourage that. And then and then and then the third one. That's okay. Not Let's being afraid, like not being afraid to offend family and friends who may be sick during this time. It is okay to say, we can't do that right now. You know, you are sick and we will catch up with you next week. Or please don't kiss the baby while you have symptoms. Or please wash your hands when you come in. And or please wear a mask if that's what you want for people to do. Like I would want to give everyone the license to take care of themselves and take care of their babies as best as they can. That's so important. And I really love that you said we've got to take care of ourselves first. I think it's easy for us as parents to just focus on how am I taking care of my kids? And sometimes we forget, just like you said, we've got to be healthy first. We've got to take care of ourselves first so that Absolutely. we can be there for our kids. Absolutely. Such great advice. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Tayangu, for all yeah. the work you're doing on behalf of children and families and for sharing all your expertise with us today. This has been incredibly helpful. Well, thank you. I thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and letting me come and talk to you. This was great. Thank you everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.